Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beer and Money. I am Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about three different areas that we find a lot of people are mixing what is true versus what they want to be true in their financial picture. Or maybe even just believing what they're told to be true. That's fair too. And the reason we're having this conversation is it's as we, I mean, as we engage with more and more people, you know, our job is to really understand what it is that you want. And our job is also to understand what it is that you you've already accomplished and what have you already done? And sometimes we get numbers that are that state one thing. And we, and when we ask deeper questions, it comes out that, Oh, well, actually I'm not saving that amount of money. Like it, like the reality starts to come out. And it's not that these people, I think we're trying to trick us in any shape or way. I think it's just very easy to really trick ourselves into thinking what we're doing versus in reality, what's actually occurring. One and how Americans define savings. Well, that's a huge, yeah. Please into this in a big, big way. Yep. Well, before we dive into this more, <laughs> Alex, what are we drinking? Uh, today, we are trying Doubledale's IPA. It's from Oscar Blues Brewery, which is a grill and brew in uh, Colorado. So what do you think here, Ryan? Well, it's from the motherland. And because it's from the motherland, uh, I'm probably going to be very biased. You know, it's, it's a pretty solid IPA. Um, very you know, 9%. I mean, you can definitely, you can taste it for sure. You, you can taste it for sure. You know, it, it's got a bit of a harshness to it. <laughs> Ironically, I was getting ready to say it's really smooth. Really? I don't think yeah. it's that. I don't, there's, it, it finishes smooth, but the initial taste, there's a, there's a harshness to the, the mm. initial hit on that front end. Yeah. Which is, on one hand, I like it because I do like the the kick, if you will. Um, so overall, I think it's pretty solid. Uh, my bottle cap rating, rating for this is probably going to be, I'll give it a seven. And, uh, so this only has 65 IBUs. It's definitively not a Northwest IPA, which is what I prefer. Uh, I'd give this a five. So look, it's from Colorado. I'm just going to say you should try it. <laughs> I'm not biased at all, though. <laughs> Sure. Let, let's get into the topic here, Alex. So, you know, if, as we were, as I was reading several articles this past weekend, and I forget exactly what the article was about. It hit me over the head about how people, they, they want to believe that they're doing well and they want to believe that they're making the right decisions. And so because of that, I think many of us, and I'm not, this isn't me picking on them. I'm sure I've done this. I'm sure Alex has done this. There's oftentimes that we mix what is true versus what we want to be true. And those are two very different things. Like I want X to be true and to be happening. So therefore I'm going to think it's occurring right now. That, 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 that's not reality. And this is also a little bit of like confirmation bias. Yeah, there's definitely a, a bit of bias in this topic. Well, and it's like, again, we are hardwired 
as humans to say, nope, everything is going to work out. Things are going to work out in our favor. The vast majority of people look at things and the ch- especially the choices and the intentional decisions that they have made in a positive light. Yep. Mostly they're defending themselves from themselves because if they admit like, Hey, this might not have been the right decision. Now you're admitting that you made a bad or wrong choice. And it's not about being right or wrong, actually. Like that, that, that's not the purpose of this, this conversation. So like, let's give three examples because I think that that will really help frame this, what we're trying to get across here, Alex. So the first example that comes up all the time is rate of return. And I'll give a quick story. I was sitting down with a client and we were talking about, you know, investments and rates of return and allocate, you know, the standard stuff that, uh, that many of the advisors do you know, Alex and I go a lot deeper. And one of the questions that we always ask is, okay, what is your expectations of round rate of return? Right. And this person said, oh, well, I expect to get a 20% rate of return. And it's not that that is wrong. We've gotten like the markets produced that type of rate of return, especially in the last decade. Over short periods of time. Right. And so the follow-up question I said, okay, is that your, I, 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 clarified it. I was like, is that your expectation or is that just what you've been getting? And he said, both. I said, oh, okay. Where, where do you, so do you have a tracking system so you can look at how you've done year to year to year? And he goes, well, I log in and I do that. Okay, cool. Well, let's log in and, and see what's going on. And we actually started diving into it. And he was right. The, the year prior, he got a 20% rate of return. The year prior to that, he got like 18 or 17. The year prior to that, it, it was the years that we were going into, like he was in that double digit, probably 16 to 20% range. Right. And then I said, okay, let's keep going backwards. And then we kept going backwards and slowly, but surely started coming down. And like, this is recency bias. Correct. These are all just the normal things that like we trick ourselves with on a regular basis. And when you take a look at long-term rates of return, we're, the likelihood of getting a 20% per year rate of return over a long time period is just not very high, especially without taking tremendous amounts of risk. Yeah. I mean, when we came down to it and not that you should use like averages and all that, you know, we're very much against averages, but just to kind of give you the lay of the land of re- what he really looked like, his average rate of return is really pushing 10%. Which is awesome. Which doesn't suck. Right. And so now that's pre-tax and all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter was, is it, it was still a good return, but in his mind, he had this 20% figure and I had to really dive in because Hey, if that's his expectation as me, as you know, Alex and I, we don't try to time the market, predict the market. We try to get what the market provides us and we have to be realistic. Alex and I would never, ever have an expectation of 20% of rate of return on an average. First and foremost, we have no control over that. Exactly. Well, why did this person say it? This person said it to your point. That's what he was used to seeing. He was used to seeing these 18, 19, 20% ranges. And he forgot about what like the market used to be. Now, of course, this year he's having a whole different conversation with me. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and it, it, it's also what the talking heads are saying, what the media is saying. Like so much of this, so much of the quote unquote research or education or news that we hear isn't academic. It's not designed 
to coach or teach or explain. It's designed to create movement and helping people understand why people are saying the things that they're saying and what they're trying to accomplish with it, whether it's attracting eyeballs or actually getting people to create transactions. Either way, like we need to understand what the motivation is. Yeah. And this was, I want to be clear about this. This wasn't me digging in to say that this person was wrong. This was me digging in in terms of to make sure that I'm, that we're having proper expectations. Right. What, I mean, because if he's, let's say I just skipped over this entire conversation with them and I asked them where to turn, well, you know, the, the standard type of advisor type of probably conversation and we move forward and I didn't dive into the weeds and he didn't get 20% one year and he calls me up and says, Hey, Ryan, you suck. You didn't like, give me my 20%. Right. I'd be like, okay, wait a minute. And then now I'm having to backtrack because no advisor out there would ever say that. But if you don't dive in and actually give and go through proper expectations of one another, it, it changes the relationship drastically when they don't get what they quote unquote expected. When if we take it one step further and think about this from a planning standpoint, again, we don't have control over rate of return. So knowing that that's out of our control with the notable exception of like monitoring asset allocation, we can control the magnitude of the return given the markets that we're in, but we can't control the markets themselves. And so when we start taking a look at things, if we underestimate rate of return, well, then we're going to have more dollars than what we anticipated. I have yet to run into a client that thought that was a problem. Yep. And we can always go ahead and adjust the plan based on having more dollars compared to the alternative where we expect higher than what we actually receive in terms of rate of return. And now we're scrambling to try and make up that difference, which there really aren't necessarily a whole lot of things that we can go ahead and do. We can choose to work longer. We can add risk. Most of the time, these are not things that clients want to go ahead and do, especially if we're five, 10, 15 years further down the road than where we were when we started. Which really kind of takes us to like cash flow or amount of savings, right? So this is number two in terms of like examples. And a common thing that we run into is as we're talking to the client and trying to figure out what it is that they're trying to build, um, you know, what does that lifestyle look like? Do they want an RV? Like we really get in and, and try to figure out what it is that the client want, which then goes into savings, right? So then we're trying to figure out, okay, where have you been putting your money and how long have you been putting it there? And so we'll get into a conversation with our clients around like, okay, how much is going to their 401k versus maybe their savings account, right? And the client will say, oh, I've been saving $1,000 a month in the savings. Okay, so we'll pull up their savings, right? And the savings will have, let's just say $12,000 to make this ultra simple. <laughs> and then we'll have a follow-up question like, oh, how long have you been saving $1,000 in months into savings? And they might say, oh, it's several years. Okay. Okay. Where did the so money go? You have 12. If it's several years, you should have 24, 36. Where, where did that money go? And they might say, like in theory, they might say, oh, well, we invested that money. So it's sitting over here. Okay. But there was no investment account. 
really what they did was the other $12,000 or you know $24,000 in this example, they had actually taken that money and bought an RV. Which like, don't get me wrong. I'm not against like experiences with the family. I'm not, I'm not for that, but that's an asset that is purely for vacation and experiences. That's not an asset. That's, that's an investable asset. That's going to give you any return outside of experience with your family, which for one, if that's the main priority or value, awesome. When, but so did they also we, convince themselves that they were buying an asset or in their head, they're still thinking, oh, I'm saving a thousand dollars a month. Add that to my 401k. So I'm actually saving 20%. And in reality, they're not. Yeah. And so many Americans like talk about, oh yeah, I'm putting X number of dollars into savings and treat that as savings. However, the average American uses their savings account as a spending account. And so it's just deferred spending, whether it's for an RV or a second home or a trip or a vacation or a new car or whatever else, it's not actually being saved and put into long-term investments. It is delayed maintenance. It is delayed gratification on a trip. It, like It's being spent at some point in the not too distant future. Well, it's even in our language, right? Like, oh, I need to buy a car. I need to save up for that. Right. Like save to spend. Yeah, a hundred percent. And this is one of the things that we just really need to be, make sure that we're careful of in our own language and are aware of in how we treat our finances. Yep. Which this takes us to number three, which is really the combination of one and two. Mm-hmm. It's really like, well, Ryan, I'm 24 years old. I'm currently saving 50% of my income um, and I've been getting a 20% rate of return. So if you take that 50% savings rate times a 20% return for 40 plus years, I'm good. Like I don't need to actually put another dollar into this in the end because I'm going to be, you know, I don't need that much money in retirement because I'm living off of 50% of my income. And on a spreadsheet, they're 100% correct. I'm not trying to say that this person is wrong. I've seen how that planning actually works out. And inevitably, life is messy. What's well, not even messy? It, like life is life, right? Like maybe this person has children and really underestimated <clears throat> the cost of children because I know I sure as crap did in watching my language. <laughs> yeah. Right? Maybe they didn't take into consideration uh, 8% inflation year. Like I'm making stuff up here, right? Like the point of the matter is what we're getting at here is that type of planning leaves very little room for error. Yeah. And we like we wind up in a situation where it, it, it's almost taking a Pollyanna approach of everything's going to work out. And, and if everything does work out, sure. But at the same time, it goes back to exactly what we were talking about around rate of return like five minutes ago of we should over plan and underestimate rate of return, underestimate like other things and overestimate our expenses because that gives us that, that room for error of like, Hey, things didn't work out the way in which we wanted to, or we ran into some bumps or 
we ran into the ability to do more with our money than we thought. And so we started enjoying it in our forties because something happened from a health standpoint. We didn't know how long, how much longer we were going to have. Like there are so many different possibilities, good and bad that are going to change the course of your life. And we really need to make sure that we're building in buffers of like what could potentially happen and how we're going to deal with it. Yeah. This is kind of gets to the planning for the worst case scenario. And if if the best case scenario happens, you're even better off. Right. And clearly that's the message we've been pushing since I think episode one. Right. So the people that work with us tend to not keep the whole, like save 50% and get 20% rate of return, like planning for the best only type of scenario. So not to say that that scenario is a, a wrong scenario that could happen. Sure. The, if statistically though, it's not likely, but it could happen. And regardless of what, like if, if we go in with that as our expectation and we fall short of it, we're in trouble. If we go in with a lower expectation and wind up with that as the result, now we're jumping up and down and we're able to change things mid midway through and say, yeah, we, we have been saving 50% and now we might only need to be saving 30%. Let's put that other, that extra capital to work for us, enjoying our life. Like, so those are the, the three examples that we were trying that hopefully, hopefully we didn't like roll over the cow and, and drop a bazooka on it here, but right. It mixing what is true versus what you want to be true. Right. This is where talking to someone that is not you, that has financial knowledge, that can take a holistic viewpoint towards your finances and hopefully can call you out on some of the, maybe the bias that you may have or call you out of some of the stuff that you, that in your head you're thinking you're doing. But in reality, when you look at the balance sheet, it's not showing up, which takes us to the question of the day, Alex. Uh, A question today is where are your biases showing up? around money. And if you think you don't have any, ask someone to help figure out where your biases are showing up because we all have them. So head over to beerandmoney.net and answer that question of the day. We always hope these episodes are valuable. If you got any value out of this, share it, share it with your friends, share it with your parents, right? The whole purpose of us recording this podcast every single week is hopefully to have you think differently about your money to make better decisions. So we hope this episode is valuable. And as always, Alex, cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or Quantified Financial Partners and opinions stated are your own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. 
All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Brian and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850, Portland, Oregon 97201. Phone number 503-221-1226. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, Air Insurance License Number 153-19412. CA Insurance License Number 0K24924. Alexander Collins, Air Insurance License Number 7264699. CA Insurance License Number 0H24806. Pinpoint Number 2022. 140331 expiration june 2024